This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist out of Fayetteville, Arkansas, and I'm sitting here watching this gorgeous sunrise over the Ozark Mountains, and I'm just glad to be here with you today. I can't believe this is the 71st episode of Self Work. I began this podcast last year because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those who might be interested in therapy or be in therapy, but also to those who just might be curious about what someone like me might have to say. I've been a psychologist for over 25 years, and I'm just getting comfortable basically with all the things I still don't know and still don't understand. I heard a great term the other day, the wisdom of insecurity, and I'm definitely following through with that. We're going to be talking about perfectionism today. What are the fears involved with trying to be everything to everybody or your best never feels good enough? It's very difficult. I know that I've struggled with it myself. I did an interview this past week with a psychologist out of Canada. His name is Gordon Flett. I'm just going to bring you a little bit of that interview. And we're going to be talking about how social media affects perfectionism. And then, of course, what we always talk about, what you can do about it. Our last portion of the podcast will be an email from a listener, as it is every week. This listener had listened to the podcast on procrastination and wanted some guidance about how to motivate herself. So again, thanks for being here, and we're going to be talking about perfectionism. I announced last week that I'm writing a book on perfectly hidden depression, which I'm delighted to announce. And this week, I started doing interviews for the book, and I had the honor of speaking with Dr. Gordon Flett. He's a leading Canadian psychologist and author who's an expert on perfectionism. In fact, he wrote or he co-wrote the text on abnormal psychology for the country of Canada. So this guy knows what he's talking about. I was pretty nervous because I haven't talked to too many people like that. But I'd read some of what he had to say, and I knew his ideas on perfectly hidden depression would be incredibly helpful. So I screwed up my courage and asked for an interview. He was so nice, and he knew a lot about perfectionism. I loved his humor. I said, well, you're my first official interview. And he immediately responded, oh, uh uh-oh, you set the bar low, right? (laughs) So he's pretty funny. If you've listened to any of the podcasts on perfectly hidden depression, you'll know that I've listed perfection as the lead characteristic of PhD or perfectly hidden depression. If you are interested, they start with episodes three and four, I believe 31 and 35, but they're they're sprinkled throughout the episodes. Perhaps I should group them together. I don't know. Anyway, perfectly hidden depression is when you're not simply striving for excellence. That's drive or a sense of wanting to achieve that's very different from perfectionism. Most of us would consider that very worthy. But if perfectionism is your goal, then there's huge risk. Because think about it, perfectionism is impossible. There's always going to be something that could be better. And then shame begins to creep in. You failed at something no one could actually achieve, but you still feel as if you failed. And then perhaps you secretly believe you can pull perfection off. So you keep trying. 
You do things very, very well. People commend you and admire you. But then another problem begins to arise. Perfectionistic people feel increasingly burdened by the ever higher expectations that others develop in them or for them. The teenage quarterback who's led his team to three state championships and is being watched by professional scouts. The young mother who's getting promoted at her job for her outstanding contributions, but she has to stay up till two o'clock in the morning to get that very work done. Or the attorney who has an almost perfect trial record, attracting more and more difficult cases. If I can quote Dr. Flett, he said they begin to feel, the better I do, the better I'm expected to do. The pressure can be immense. And yet giving it up is something perfectionists fear. I told you I was going to talk a little bit about myself. I remember years ago I told a therapist, if I don't keep my thumb in my back, pushing myself every minute, I'm afraid that I'll become a slug. Striving for perfection back then was my goal. It's fear that keeps perfectionism alive. Fear of not being on top of being behind, of not looking like you've got it all together, of making mistakes that will be noticed, fear of rejection or judgment, fear that you won't be as good as you were last time, fear that you have to hide what you know to be painful, and the list goes on and on and on. But unless there's an actual physical or immediate threat to you, fear isn't the emotion that leads you to actual fulfillment. Fear is paralyzing. So now we introduce social media to our culture, in fact, the international culture. Social media is far from helpful to perfectionistic people. The shame or discomfort you can feel if you're comparing your life with what you see on your tablet or phone, it can be staggering. And we're not comparing ourselves just to our neighbors anymore. We're not keeping up with the the Joneses. We're trying to keep up with the entire world. And we all know social media makes life look so easy, or the people that post on social media, so happy. So you can begin to look at your own life much more critically. You see multitudes of vacation pictures from exotic places around the world, from just friends of friends. So your trip to visit your friend in Des Moines can fizzle. You can read the post of proud parents with kids going to elite colleges while your kid is struggling to get through high school. You can see how much weight someone named Joanne has lost simply by slugging down protein shakes. You can't seem to lose five pounds without gaining seven. And then let's be honest. People lie on social media. They paint their lives the way they want to be seen, but not necessarily the way they really are. They lie by commission. They purposefully lead others to believe what isn't true. And they lie by omission. They simply leave out the less glowing details. Dr. Flett told me a story about a conversation he overheard between two of his graduate students. They both received their graded papers from him and were comparing scores. One said, oh, I got an 82. The other girl nodded, I'm so excited I got a 91. And he said he startled a bit and looked back at his grading. The second girl had received a 78. He'd actually kind of figured out that about her, but guess who was the perfectionist? We simply don't know what is someone's truth. About that exotic vacation, you don't hear how the couple fought their way through Bora Bora. The girl who got into elite college, you don't know she didn't want to go to Harvard. She really wanted to go to a state university, and she's already having panic attacks. You don't know that Joanna has lost weight countless times and regained it 
and that her husband has threatened to leave her if she doesn't keep it off this time. You don't know the backstory. But if you're a perfectionist, you're far more likely to not remember that and only see what's on the surface. You'll feel shame. So you'll put more pressure on yourself. You'll plan a vacation you can't afford. You'll push your child hard to do better in school. You'll sign up for Weight Watchers or go on some cayenne tea cleanse just in order to keep up. So you can see how it can be a tremendously painful and shameful process. So what are you supposed to do if you're caught up in perfectionism? As I was putting this together, I kind of wanted to name this section non-perfect ways to manage perfectionism just so I wouldn't put pressure on myself to try to come up with all the things you could possibly do about perfectionism. So I'll start off by telling you a story. If you've listened to 70 podcasts, you know I'm a storyteller. When I moved to Fayetteville from Dallas, I was still very much into performing on stage. And so I'd gotten the part of Emma Goldman in a musical called Tintypes, which is a really old vaudeville-style musical about American history. Emma Goldman was an early suffragette and socialist who gave frequent public speeches decrying the state of politics in the U.S. And on stage, she did crazy things like coming out on roller skates while playing the violin very badly, by the way, which wasn't hard at all for me. <laughs> now, the skating nearly killed me. But I had lunch with a friend before I accepted the role. Do you think I should do it? What will people think about their therapist quoting socialism and acting nutty, I asked her. So she looked at me and calmly said, yeah, there will be some people who would decide never to darken your door, and there would be others who would say, thank goodness she's normal and does things she loves to do. I realized right then that she was right. Being true to my own passions was much more important than looking like some perfect therapist, however that's supposed to look. So what does that story suggest to me, at least? I had to confront my fear. That's the very first thing. You have to confront this fear of giving up the perfectionism. How do you do that? You ask yourself these questions. What will actually happen if you don't do something perfectly? Maybe you won't get that raise. Maybe you won't win the game. Maybe you'll disappoint someone. So how will you handle that? What skills do you possess already to get through that? What skills do you need to learn? Now, you may need help with this particular step, because perfectionists can rationalize most fears they have. They actually think there's nothing that they have to avoid that happening at all costs. In my example, I had to face or confront the fear that people would think that I was a little nutty. Maybe I am. So how would I deal with that? Well, I didn't have to be an exact fit for every person who might seek therapy in Fayetteville, Arkansas, or Northwest Arkansas. That was my reasoning. The second thing you have to do is along the same lines. You confront the idea that it's even possible to meet everyone else's standards. You don't have control over what people think of you or what you do. You could be trying to live with integrity or do good deeds, but there's still no way you have control over what other people think. So to think you do and try to morph yourself into someone that you believe others need you to be or want you to be is non-productive and really impossible. Third, you have to realize that perfectionism may be somewhat contradictorily making it harder for you. In therapy, I often use this small example. 
I'm holding a pen in my hand in front of them, very gently but firmly, and I ask the perfectionist in front of me, is the pencil being held? Yes. Then I grasp the pencil very hard between two fingers, as hard as I can possibly do it. Am I holding the pencil? Yes. So these questions follow. Which way of holding it is sustainable? Which one will I be able to do consistently? Which one fosters flexibility? Which one, if there was an emergency, would allow me the freedom and the energy to respond to that emergency? You can see through this very easy, simple example that doing something that you can do very easily and then doing it with urgency and intensity is tiring and actually non-sustainable. The fourth idea is that you have to become more comfortable with knowing that others will see your flaws and it's okay because you've accepted them as well. We talked about self-acceptance and self-compassion in podcast 33 and 45. You might want to go back and review those. But for this concept, I'd ask you to write down what you believe your strengths are. If you have trouble coming up with your strengths, then ask others that know you well. Of course, if you have trouble with this, this might be an issue in and of itself. Okay, the second part is to write down your own vulnerabilities, the things you struggle with. Perfectionists probably will be very good at this. (laughs) So do the same thing then for someone you love. Take five minutes. What are their strengths and vulnerabilities? Now, ask yourself this question. Does my friend's vulnerabilities define her more than her strengths? Or do her strengths define her more than her vulnerabilities? I think the answer is no to both questions. When you think about her, you realize she's a combination of assets and liabilities, of wonderful and not so hot. She's defined or identified by both. And so are you. You're no different than anyone else. (laughs) I went to a workshop at a residential psychiatric facility a couple of years ago now, and we were all standing in a circle sort of waiting to do some introductions and things, and I was casting my eyes around at other people. It was a bunch of therapists that they had invited to see what they do with their patients. It was fascinating, and it was a wonderful experience. Anyway, as I was looking around, sort of assessing other people, I realized, oh, you know what? All these other people are assessing me. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of uncomfortable, but enlightening that I was seeing their strengths and probably some of their vulnerabilities just standing there. We're both whether we like it or not. And the fifth thing to confront perfectionism is you learn to continue striving for excellence, yet knowing that today you can't know what you don't know. So there's always risk involved. The process is all about learning, growing, learning from mistakes, being challenged by successes. I've laughed reading some of my first blog posts, for example, I went through some period when I thought sentence fragments were very cool. One lady on the Huffington Post called me out on it. She said, this woman can't even make a full sentence, and she was right. But I was learning. I'll probably look back five years from now and laugh as well. But the learning is worth the risk. And I prefer to strive for excellence and to keep risking. So to recap, there are five things to try. You have to confront your fear. You have to confront the idea that it's even possible to meet everyone else's standards. 
you have to realize that perfectionism may be making it harder for you. You have to become more comfortable with knowing that others will see your flaws, but it's okay because you've accepted them. And fifth, you can continue striving for excellence, but you can't know what you don't know. You won't be perfect. You can be okay with that, or you can begin to learn to be okay with that. You can begin to risk, you can begin to accept, and you can begin to feel much more free. The email from a listener today is short and quick. Hi, Dr. Margaret. I really enjoy your podcasts and appreciate what you do. Thank you. Your podcast on procrastination hit the nail right on the head. I'm currently studying for my retake of the GRE because the first exam results were quite poor. But now I seem to have lost the motivation to actually study for it. My end goal is to obtain a PsyD in clinical psychology to become a neuropsychologist. However, I'm having a hard time pushing myself forward. I have the time to study, but getting rejected from all the schools I've applied to has put more of a disappointing spin on things. I'm starting to wonder how much I really want to go back to school. As a graduated psychology major, I know there's a very limited amount I can do with a bachelor's degree. The pressure to continue is very strong. I know I want the degree, but I feel hesitant to retake the exam. Maybe I'm not ready to commit to another five years of schooling. Any tips, advice would be highly appreciated. So I write her back and thank her for being a listener, of course. I give her some reassurance. Certainly, I was not accepted everywhere I sent in a resume, and it's hard to keep up motivation in light of that. So I wonder if you've grieved your feelings about not doing as well as you expected or on the GRE, plus that being such a hurdle for many graduate programs. If you haven't grieved, you may need to because those feelings could be holding you back. If you're still angry or afraid or sad, the resolution of grief, of course, is acceptance. When I'm trying to help someone make a decision, I always have them look at three columns. One is the pros of the decision, in this case, studying for the GRE. Then the potential losses or cons of not taking it, not being able to do the other things because you're studying, for example, or not being able to apply to any more programs. But the third column is the most important. It's how you're going to tolerate the losses or the cons. For example, if you don't study and don't retake the GRE, how will you tolerate or cope with the losses? If you can't come up with a good answer for that, then maybe that's not the right choice. And it'll be motivation for you to work harder on the choice where you can tolerate the loss. It was interesting to me that you used the word pressure. It made me wonder where that pressure is coming from. Maybe internal, maybe just another word for motivation. You may be counting on that pressure to make yourself study, but I find that by doing something, the motivation to continue is fueled. Too many people wait to be motivated. What I mean by that is studying for an hour will motivate you most likely to study another tomorrow. When you put a lot of pressure on yourself, you tell yourself you don't have options, and we always have options. One more thought I have If you do retake the GRE and still don't do well, have you considered an option B? You're right to seriously consider the years it takes. A psychology degree is not really in psychology, it's in persistence. (laughs) Now, I think it's worth it, especially if it's a passion of yours. 
but it is a long time. I certainly know that I've had to accept lots of option Bs and some option Cs in my life, and you can make them work for you. And then, of course, perhaps if you allow yourself to consider other options, some of that pressure will subside, and retaking the GRE won't be quite so stressful. So good luck to you. I picked this email because I think a lot of us have a hard time making ourselves do things, and I did talk a lot about some of that in the episode on procrastination, if you're interested in it. There are lots of ways of reaching out to me. I love getting your emails at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. I will answer them. And if you don't want me to use it on the podcast, just tell me, and I will not. But it helps me to get to know you, who's listening. The only thing I can tell, as I frequently have said on this program, is I can tell where you're from. That's about it. I don't know your age, your demographics, or what you'd like podcasts on. So drop me a line at AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com. I also have a website where I blog weekly, DrMargaretRutherford.com. You can subscribe there and get my weekly newsletter with the blog post and my podcast episode featured, as well as some other articles that I found interesting during the week. I promise you one email a week. That's it. (laughs) Or you can subscribe wherever you listen. Thanks so much to the people who've left ratings and reviews this week. One more and I reach 100. (laughs) That's really the way that the word can get out about self-work or ratings and reviews. And especially reviews give me information about what you like about the podcast so I can do more of that. I've been talking about doing interviews now forever and ever, but I have finally found a program that I can use that I'm comfortable with. So that's going to get started here in another month or so. Got to get them lined up, but I'm really looking forward to that. I want to thank you for listening. I hope this has been helpful to you. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been self-work.